0: memento the dark knight inception with so many masterworks under his belt does chris nolan have another one on his hands with dunkirk stick around we'll get into it welcome to the crooked table podcast where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle and now your host robert yanis jr welcome to the crooked table podcast this is rob On this episode we're going to be talking all about Christopher Nolan and his new film Dunkirk, but before we get into that I know we're playing a little bit of catch up. Dunkirk actually did come out last week and the scheduling for the podcast has been slightly off. It's been coming out more Sunday Monday less Friday Saturday as initially uh, intended. But I assure you, I will be getting back into that. I have a, a trip coming up next week, so I will be out of town. But recording an episode in advance, so hopefully that'll give me the incentive I need to actually get back on my regular, uh, regularly scheduled uh, episode release uh, schedule, I guess, and um, get back on track and up to date with the the weekend's movies. So. This is episode's all about Dunkirk. If you want to hear my thoughts on one of this weekend's, this past weekend's big releases, Atomic Blonde, you can uh, hear my appearance on the Cinemaholics podcast in the show notes. See the link there uh, for that. As well as uh, we also discuss um, a bunch of other shows, including my thoughts on the Defenders. I'll put my link to. Uh, I'll put a link to my review, my written review of the Defenders for WeGotThisCovered.com as well as Ozark and um, the Incredible Jesse Jessica James. I think there was a we talked about a bunch of stuff. The guys over there are, are, are a ton of fun, so definitely check out the episode in the show notes and subscribe to that podcast as well. So moving into Christopher Nolan territory now. So before we get into the review proper. I wanted to go in a little bit of more, a little bit more depth into why what my relationship is with Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. So, I've been a big fan of his since Memento. I, M- Memento is actually one of those films for me that was really, really shaped my interest in film. It, it came out when I was uh, in high school. And I was actually working at a movie theater at the time when it was in theaters, and I didn't really know what it was about, so I didn't see it in, during its theatrical run. But I remember picking up a copy of it on VHS. Yeah, remember VHS, everybody. Um, and and it being one of the first movies where I really just sat there for about five to ten minutes after just processing what I had watched and what what it what a profound ending it had and what the commentary that That film's message has to say about who we are, how we think, and how we how we manipulate ourselves uh, to a, a large extent. And ever since then, I've been kind of predisposed to everything, Christopher Nolan. I wasn't, I actually still need to go back and rewatch uh, insomnia. I haven't really seen that that much um, as well as following, but I obviously, you guys know I'm a huge Batman fan, so when he got Batman begins, I remember really being impressed with that film when I saw it in theaters and then of course Loving the Dark Knight um, and, and really, really clicking with his approach, his storytelling approach which is, for as many as most of you probably know, very non-linear, very um, intellectual or, or pseudo-intellectual some would say um, and I, I, to me he just has such a, a solid track record of about three to four, maybe I would say, we could even stretch that to five masterpieces or near masterpieces. I think Memento is still my favorite film of his, um, followed by The Dark Knight, Inception, and I really love Batman Begins. And then The Prestige is, is a film that it seems perpetually underrated, um, despite the, uh, pun intended, I guess, magic trick that he pulls off in telling that story. As far as his his uh, 2014 release, Interstellar, I thought it was good, but it wasn't quite on the same level as some of his other ones. I feel like um, the Nolan formula has been starting to show a little bit more. Um, I was also moderately disappointed by The Dark Knight Rises. I do think it's a, a, a decent film. It's definitely solid, and there's a lot of good things going on with that movie. The, a lot of the same strong points, actually. As Interstellar and Dunkirk, we'll get into more of that in a little bit, but um, it, it wasn't it wasn't anything that that really um, really impressed me in the way that Memento, The Dark Knight, Inception, um, really has. But that being said, I still consider Christopher Nolan one of my favorite filmmakers, so I was excited to see Dunkirk, regardless of what it was about, and um, you know whether it had. Uh, you know, what genre it was or anything. You put Christopher Nolan's name on a movie and I'm interested in at least giving it a shot, if not necessarily being all about it. As, uh, as I said with Interstellar, like I said, I saw that in IMAX and that was an incredible, like, real IMAX, not not shitty fake IMAX, real IMAX. Um, and um, that was a very memorable movie-going experience, even though the film itself, I've re-watched, like, maybe once since then, and it's fine. I understand a lot of the criticisms with it. I understand a lot of the arguments for it. It tries too hard to sort of be two thousand one a space odyssey esque, and I think Nolan's appearance in in living up to filmmakers like Stanley Kubrick comes off a little a little strong. Sometimes it seems it seems a lot. It doesn't seem very effortless anymore. It seems very deliberate and that he's... Oh, he's Here's my version of that. Here's my version of that. And because of that, it doesn't feel like he's 100% following his own vision so much as chasing a legacy that he wants to leave behind. And I think Interstellar and even The Dark Knight Rises to some extent sort of... Uh, that started to, to weigh on his films a little bit. That being said... Um, I do I do think that he is a very strong filmmaker um, visually and, and among other among other things. It's more of his storytelling side of things that I think can be a little tricky sometimes, depending on the material that he has uh, at his disposal. So with that being said, I just want to give you a little bit of background on Christopher Nolan, because for me, he's up there with Quentin Tarantino, Edgar Wright, and some of these other filmmakers that Anytime they come out with a movie, I'm instantly sold because I know I'm going to get something very distinctive uh, Even if the film itself isn't necessarily in my top ten of that year or anything Um, So with that being said, let's move into our review of Dunkirk The call went out We have to go to Dunkirk Ready on the stern line What are you doing? You know where we're going Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. One of ours? He's on me. I'm on him. Dunkirk, of course, is the new film from writer director Christopher Nolan. Now, for those of you who haven't heard our normal review uh, structure, we like to talk about the hype, the story, the cast, the production and the verdict so first let's talk about the hype now going into this as i said knowing nolan was involved obviously and uh that this was uh, his his vision and uh with the track record that he left behind i was immediately intrigued uh admittedly war films are not really my thing But I was making, you know, excited to make an exception because I'm such a Nolan, uh, quote, fanboy. Even though I don't really know what that even means other than I really like The Dark Knight, which I feel like kind of applies to most people. But, uh, so I went into this very encouraged and had been hearing nothing but praise from critics. Basically praising it as another Nolan masterpiece, you know, sort of in line with the films I already mentioned. And, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't go into this with sort of elevated expectations, uh, despite the fact that the genre is not normally my cup of tea. Just, you know, hoping that Nolan would maybe bring enough to it to really transcend that for me. So going into the story. The story here is following a group of British and French uh, soldiers during World War II who are trapped on a beach by the enemy, by the Germans, and um kind of have nowhere to go they're basically stranded and they need some means of escape so we follow a trio of narratives one is focused on the ground with a group of soldiers trying to get off the beach one is focused in the sea where we have mark rylance and his character's son and another young man who pick up a soldier along the way and are heading over there um, you know they're civilians riding a boat to try and save some of, the, um, some of the soldiers and get them out of harm's way, as well as in the air with uh, Tom Hardy uh, as a fighter pilot basically trying to defend the beach uh, from above. Of course, this being Nolan, there is a little bit of a, a trick there in which these three stories all take place over different periods of time. The one in the air takes place over an hour, the one in the, on the sea takes place over a day, And the one on the land takes place over the course of a week. And you're cross-cutting between all three of them uh, throughout the film. And they intersect in various ways. And you could sort of, by the end, they all kind of converge into, uh, into the climax of the film. For me, that structure was really frustrating. Because it makes the film a lot harder to follow. And I know this is a thing that has happened, at least for me, with most Nolan movies, is that... Even something as seemingly straightforward as Batman Begins or Dark Knight, his films are very dense, and they move forward at such a clip that it's hard for me sometimes to absorb all the story details. And with this structure being the way it was, that was much harder than I, I, than even some of his other films. Um, it didn't help <laughs> during the land sequence a lot of the, you know, there's a, basically there's a lot of white boys running around. There's a lot of young British men uh, and they all seemed very nondescript to me and it's hard to latch on to any particular character. That's the thing in this movie. It's not really a story about people. It's more a story about an event and I understand that that was his vision but that's not necessarily something that works for me. I need an emotional attachment to... Uh, To these people that I'm watching on screen in order to really, in order to really uh, feel engaged and in order to really um, appreciate the stakes of the story being told. So for me, the structure of the story, and since the segment is right now called the story, that's where this, this made a lot more sense to kind of get into that part of it. It, it, the immersiveness of the film, and I've heard people praise. Oh, you got to see it on seventy millimeter. Uh, it's seventy millimeter. It's it's amazing experience, and you feel like you're in it, and it's so tense. I didn't really feel that tense, and I didn't really feel that emotional through most of the film because I didn't know who these people are. You're dropped in here without any backstory, which is fine. I get that. Again, I get that's what he was doing. I'm just all I can tell you is whether or not I connected with it. And because I didn't know who these people were, and I was just kind of dropped into it, and then also the like the, the narrative structure, as I said, was jarring, constantly back and forth. I had no idea who who was who, except for except of course for recognizable actors like Mark Mark Rylance, um, Kenneth Branagh, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, people like that. But other than that, a lot of these new actors, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, and it, it wasn't until almost towards the end of the film, I was like, oh, that guy was that guy was that guy. OK, now I'm starting, I'm starting to get it. Um, and I don't know if I was just really dense or, or tired or what. But um, it, it, the narrative to me was really hard to follow. And we'll get into the production a little bit. When we get to the production side of things, I'll get into that a little bit more. Moving into the cast... The cast here, of course, is across across the board very solid. Um, it, like I said, their characters are not particularly well fleshed out. A lot of them have names, but not really stories, and some of them don't even have names. They're just sort of there, and uh, it, it, you know, not, nobody really has that many moments to stand out. So as far as as far as like awards consideration, I don't think there's a lot going on here. I think. Mark Rylance probably has the meatiest role, the most emotional role as, as the captain of this ship, the civilian ship, as I mentioned, that's going out there to save the soldiers. And I think he probably gets the, the, uh, the juiciest part in this film. Everybody else is, is sort of, uh, just, you know, a cog in the system, so to speak. So, um, you know, I was really you know the acting was great, but like I said, I didn't. There were no characters here that were particularly memorable to me, um, or that really stood out. So it was just kind of a a glob of faces basically for most of this uh, most of this film. Moving into the production now, this is usually the section where I don't have as much to say, but I feel like I have a lot more more to comment on in this section than I normally do because. This film isn't really about the cast, and this film isn't really about the story, even. This film is about is about the production. It's about the, uh, the visuals, it's about the editing, it's about the uh, the sound design and all of that. So let's go, let's break it down a little bit. First of all, Hans Zimmer's score is outstanding. As always, Hans Zimmer is one of the best composers working today. I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody at this point. And his work here employs sort of a, a, a ticking to really amp up the tension. And I, th- I think that, that was very effective throughout. It does have elements that do sound sort of inceptiony with the bongs and that kind of you I think you can hear it even a little bit in the, in the trailer clip that I played. But that being said, I think it's still it's still a, a, probably a pretty strong contender for Oscar nominations. Um, I think the visuals, the cinematography here is, is really strong. Um, as far as Tom Hardy's fighter pilot character, we get a lot of shots essentially from within the cockpit. Basically this whole movie is designed to, to put you in the shoes of these characters, of these people who are dealing with this event and the hopelessness involved and the, the ultimate sort of spoilers, I guess, redemption of, uh, of this kind of of this predicament that that seems without without a solution, that seems to be kind of a lost cause. And in this in the, some respects with the score, with the cinematography, I think that really works. What really threw me off was the editing. As I said, we're jumping back and forth. I mean, you, there's a scene with people in the water, and then it cuts to another uh, another character in the water from a different from a different storyline. And while some might see that as sort of uh, you know drawing parallels and it's poetic, you know, storytelling, I felt it, I found it confusing, and it was hard to as I, as I said, a lot of the characters seemed sort of interchangeable to me throughout most of the story, and that uh that kind of that editing decision didn't really help matters. In fact, it uh it, it made the whole experience a lot a lot more uh frustrating than I think it was supposed to be. I I've heard a lot of a lot of people say that this that this film is, is kind of uh, emotionally draining and um and and I didn't really get that from it. Like I said, I wasn't really drawn in by these characters um uh, by the events on screen, sure, the events on screen are depicted in, very impressively and it does feel, it does feel uh, grand in its scope. It feels both, that's the interesting thing about it, the, the way the film looks and the way that the story is depicted on screen, it feels both grand in scope but also intensely personal. And I think that that side of it and that part of Nolan's vision really rings true. However, the screenplay here is very minimalist. There's there are long sequences with no dialogue where it's just visual storytelling, which, as I said, for someone who's based on, you know, my thing, I'd I much rather prefer complex characters and a simple plot. And this film had sort of a simple plot and also a simple characters. So there was nothing there to really uh, make it a contender to me as one of Nolan's best films. Also, the sound design was a mess. Um, I mentioned here earlier that you know the 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 jarring of the the jarring nature of the editing back and forth, but the sound design, and this is a complaint that people have said a lot in the past about Interstellar. Uh, the Dark Knight rises a little bit with Bane's voice, and that sort of having to be mixed a little differently than that sneak preview that came out. Uh, prior to the film's release and I think Dunkirk follows up in that tradition there are many points in this movie that the Hans Zimmer score is really played up and the dialogue is harder to hear um, plus I don't know if it's just the fact that I'm my ear and the fact that I'm not used to uh, as, as strong as acts as strong accents as a lot of these characters these actors have but it was also, even when I could hear them, it was still a little hard to understand what, what was going on, what was, what was being said, and what was, uh, you know, what, what was happening in the story. So you have, So basically, I have a lot of obstacles here. One, there's characters in here that I didn't connect with. Two, the editing threw me off a lot. And three, the sound design was not helping matters at all. That being said, I keep saying that being said because I, I ultimately, you may be shocked to, to uh, realize this, but ultimately I do think this is a good movie. Uh, I do think it's, in, it's, a, it's, a strong, it's a strong film from Nolan and I'll get to, I guess I basically already led into the verdict. So in the end, Dunkirk is a, a very ambitious film. Does it land all the, does it land, you know, stick the landing and execute all of those ambitions 100% effectively? No, not at all. But the acting is strong, the visuals are strong, the, the storytelling and the thematics therein, I think um, are, are very, uh, not, not distinctive, but are, it, it's a message worth telling the ultimate way in which this resolves does feel a little uh ham-handed in that it kind of does come out of nowhere. But the ultimate statement of the movie I think is something that you don't really see very often on screen. And uh it's not the action fest that some people may be expecting, because I know the trailers are all from the director of the Dark Knight trilogy and, and Inception and you might even be expecting cities to not 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 this what happened, but cities to fold in on itself and like rollicking action and, and, and it's not that at all. This is not a saving private Ryan. This is this is more meditative than that in a lot of ways, and it's and it's more about it's more about uh, relating this story that I think a lot of American citizens probably aren't that familiar with. For me, I was familiar with the incident at the beach at Dunkirk only because of atonement. From 2007 there's a really strong uh, a really impressive sequence in there where the camera basically pans along um, the beach and everything and and shows you everything that's happening with the soldiers and uh, accompanied with Dario Marianelli's stirring score the the track is actually Elegy at, at Dunkirk so I remember that film which I do enjoy quite a bit and um, so when Dunkirk was announced as his new film, I, I had a vague uh, recollection of that event and, and um, you know, its role in history. But I feel like the, sto- the purpose of this film is to relay that storyline to audiences, that event, that historical event. And I-, I don't think there's, to my knowledge, I don't know if there's ever really been a movie Chronicling it. I mean, we've seen a million movies of oh, the beach in Normandy and and all these different key battles in World War II, which is by far the the most discussed and most depicted war on the big screen and and elsewhere. And um, you know, kudos to Nolan for w- wanting to tell this story in such an innovative way. The three the three narrative uh, structure, which, as I said, didn't really work hundred percent for me. I think, I, I think you sacrificed ambition for clarity here quite a bit as far as uh, the editing is concerned. I, uh, you know, he he had a, a vision for something that story he wanted to tell and a way he wanted to tell it, and it was a very it was a very original way of doing so. I would have preferred, honestly, if they had he had broken the film up. Into three distinct parts. And this had part one on land. Part two on uh, the sea. And part three in the air. Or whatever. Mix it around. Um, But the cross cutting. The cross cutting really. I I don't think does the story any favors. And any momentum that one of the storylines. Starts to pick up. I feel like is immediately undercut. When you shift over to something else. At a different time. That takes place days or hours earlier. Uh, I would have preferred it had he, had he gone more... Christ- uh, not Christopher Nolan. Obviously, Christopher Nolan. Had he gone more Quentin Tarantino style and been like, chapter one, you know, this storyline, chapter two, this storyline, um, and then let it play it out as a series of vignettes, maybe keep the last ten minutes or so as sort of the, the conclusion, and then that one, cross-cut, when everything's happening at the same time, rather than, you know, this thing that happened four or five days earlier happening the same time as this other thing that's happening hours before the end of the film. I I don't think that approach was uh his approach was successful and I would have preferred that. And it wouldn't surprise me if at some point down the line we do get that cut of the film. Um I know, you know, hardcore Nolan people Nolan fans will know that on the Memento DVD and I don't know if it's on any of the any Blu ray releases of Memento, but um you can find an Easter egg on there where the film is edited like linearly, which I wouldn't recommend because I think that's the entire purpose and uh, and point of that movie is that you're put in Leonard Shelby's head and he doesn't know what's going on and neither do you. And I've heard some people say that that may, maybe was the uh, thinking with Dunkirk, that war is very chaotic and uh, you never know 100% what's going on and it's and it's sort of Uh, it is jarring and that was basically Nolan's point in editing the film the way that he the way that he chose to present it so whether that's true or not you know I guess that's that's a you know we have to we have to ask him and uh, whether or not that works for you is of course 100% subjective but given everything that this movie does have going for it as far as visuals as far as Narrative st- ambitions, narrative structure, strong performances, Hans Zimmer's score. Um, I could see this getting a lot of Oscar nominations, possibly Best Picture and Director. Me personally, I wouldn't put it for either of those. Um, I think this is a strong contender for uh, cinematography. I think it's a strong contender for original score, um, maybe production design, that kind of thing. I think it has, uh, it, it has. There's there's talent on screen like crazy um but picture me has to mean that it overall works and for me it it's successful but like barely for i i would give this film actually a 3.5 out of 5 which is a positive review but it's not nearly as rapturous as a lot of the ones that i've been seeing this is leagues below for me personally uh, memento or dark knight or an inception um or or even i mean it i it, you know if I was ranking Nolan's films, this is probably lower middle slash upper bottom thirds. Um, Just because it feels very much a mixed bag of, of, uh, of goals sort of, Sort of uh, contradicting each other in a way. It's like here's this, these characters. We're gonna tell their story, but not really. You're not gonna know what the hell's going on. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Well, why are you doing it that way? Why don't you? Why don't you tell me the story and let me know what's happening? And maybe that's just because, as I said earlier, Nolan's movies require another viewing to really appreciate the storytelling or to know what's going on. Um, and but I, I, you know, considering that the film was mixed. Uh, it was successful, but, like, mixed successful for me. It's not something that I'm super eager to revisit. Like, I, you know, war films are not necessarily my thing. I'm more into sci-fi and superhero and psychological thrillers, which is why all of Nolan's other films, essentially, not all of them, but most of them work much better for me than Dunkirk does. But, you know, I'd be lying if I said that there was no talent on display here if Nolan doesn't doesn't have masterful control of the camera, My issues are more seem like my issues really seem like they're more uh, uh, mostly in the post production side of things because even if the characters here weren't as are aren't as fleshed out as I would prefer, the uh, you know I'm not gonna call him the cinematic game changer like the Ready Player One trailer called Steven Spielberg because that sounds just like ridiculously pretentious, Uh, but Nolan is one of the most and I'm gonna use another cliched word. One of the most visionary filmmakers working today, and I don't mean that into saying that, uh, you know, like to to blow smoke up his ass, but he has a very, he has an idea for something that he wants to do, and he sticks with it. You go see a lot of these major blockbusters, and they feel compromised. They feel, um, they they feel like the director's vision is on display, but. Diluted by, you know, whatever the studio wants to do, whatever the, you know, the uh, the producers want to do and and you feel these these conflicting interests competing for uh, competing for narrative dominance, basically in, in films, even in something like, you know, even in something like Wonder Woman, would Patty Jenkins have done that third act as CG heavy and stuff as it really was had she had 100% her own creative control. Probably not. I'm, I'm betting to say that most of that film, considering she had to fight for the uh, no man's land sequence, which is by far the best part of the entire movie, I I venture to say that she would have handled that third act a little bit differently. But Warner Brothers is like, no, you need a big CG brawl with the with the you know a villain that's wearing a suit of armor and all this shit. That's how we roll, in Warner Brothers DC. And with Nolan, I don't get that in- impression. I get the impression that you're seeing precisely the film that he wants you to see. And that's rare. And that's to be celebrated. I mean, like, like I said with, you know, some of the other filmmakers I, I mentioned, Quentin Tarantino has that. I think um, I think David Fincher has that. I think James Cameron has that. I mean, I think there's very few filmmakers where the movie you're getting, and especially on this big blockbuster, like $100, $150 million uh, I don't even know how much this one costs, at least $150 probably. Um, on this scale most filmmakers aren't able to retain that that level of specificity with the uh, the story that they're trying to tell. So the fact that Nolan is able to pull that off is admirable and uh, you know I already said I'm I'm predisposed to enjoying his movies. It gives me enough uh, enough fulfillment out of Dunkirk to be able to recommend it despite the misgivings that i have i think for some people they're they're going to love this and this is going to be their favorite movie of the year um, i already know i see a lot of you know i listen to a lot of podcasts i read a lot of things i'm on social media a lot and i see i've already seen a lot of other film critics that have put this if not in their in their number one slot for 2017 like the top 3 or top 5 this to me not even in my top 10 already not not in my top 10 even now and we're only in july so uh, definitely not gonna end up in my top 10 of the year, but still a strong movie from Nolan. Not one of his best, but again, I think that's, uh, as with all art, I think that's subjective here. If you're into war movies and you like Nolan, then congratulations. You have, uh, you have the movie for you. Um, so go see Dunkirk if you haven't seen it. It definitely, whether or not you love it, it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen uh, just because the visuals are really impressive. And uh, the story is, as I said, very immersive and designed to be so. So definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. Judging by the box office take, I believe it was number one again, which, thank God, didn't let the Emoji movie sneak into the number one spot. I already I already sort of lost faith in humanity uh, just by the fact that the Emoji movie exists at all, let alone that it is doing well. So, it, you know, at least I can hold on to the... the uh, the fact that it did not crack the number one spot. So that's all for this episode of the Crooked Table podcast. I know we kept it like a little bit, just over a half hour, which is what tends to happen when I do these solo episodes. I can only ramble on so much, especially with limited topics. And uh, as I said, I've been busy preparing for a trip and getting things ready and, and uh, on, my, on my end of, for that. So I haven't really been seeing as many movies as I wanted to see. I would have talked about Atomic Blonde, but as I said, you can listen to... My thoughts on that film as well as The Defenders on the Cinemaholics podcast. You can check the show notes for the link to that. You can rate and review us on iTunes if you'd be so kind. We can also find Crooked Table Podcasts on Stitcher. Find me, Robert Yanis Jr., on Twitter at Crooked Table. We're also on Facebook and the other social medias. You can find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies at crookedtable.com, which actually had a little bit of a—I'm in the process of redesigning. So if it looks different, don't worry. You're still on the same website. Um, and as far as the video side of that, I have a uh, green screen and a light setup that I'm trying to get just right. I'm very—ask I, I ask my wife. I'm very perfectionist when it comes to certain things. So I will be getting that together and putting up fresh video content uh, very soon. As far as the next episode, because I want to squeeze one more episode in before I go on my trip and then schedule it to go up, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to talk about. I have a couple ideas, um, so I guess in the next few days I got to I have to settle on one of them and uh, and record. So keep your uh, keep your eyes peeled on uh, the Crooked Table feed, and uh, you know you'll see something from me probably by Friday. Until then, I've been Rob. We'll catch you around the table next week and roll credits.